insomnia was the worst thing that happened to me by a mile. It was worse than my depression. It was worse than anything that I've experienced because, because it's actually the first time where, even though I have a very positive mindset, like once you've tried all of the things and they don't work, you actually then start to think, okay, this is my reality. This is life now. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Secret Leaders, where your usual host, Dan Murray-Serta, is the one being asked the questions. I'm Will Stolomon, the head of podcasts over here at Kindling Media, and we're doing an episode like this every few months because we heard from listeners that you want to know Dan better. Plus, we thought it was a prime opportunity to show what it's really like being a founder because Dan's day job is running his VC-backed startup, Heights. This is the third chapter in this sequence with Dan being interviewed. I'd probably have a listen to the first two now if you haven't already. We've heard about Dan's early career, there were some hilarious stories, and the period before he started Heights. That sounded pretty stressful, to be honest. But today, we're learning about Dan's mental health struggles. This chapter is key because his startup is about brain care. But it's also important if you want to get to know Dan because he loves mental health. What's funny for me is Dan seems like a guy who's always loved his mental health. That's the only Dan I've ever known. It seems like an intrinsic part of his character. But the reality is, he used to think it was a load of woo-woo that didn't really apply to him. This was until the point his mental health was in the gutter, and he finally realised what was going on. I actually remember exactly where I was. I was in a bar in King's Cross, and I was sitting with a friend who, you know, I'd invested in her business. And so I was actually there as an angel investor, funny enough, having this conversation with her. She was asking me all these questions uh, you know, about about what I would do and how I would do it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then she was asking me, you know, how I am. And I was sort of like laughing off the fact that I hadn't slept for six months and generally was feeling pretty terrible. And she was like, oh, God, uh, that sounds really terrible. And I was like, you know, describing my symptoms and basically mostly describing insomnia. Um, she was like, well, have you been to see any professionals? And I'm like, yeah, I've, I've been to a doctor and he's given me sleeping pills. You know, I've tried this, I've tried that. And she was like, well, you know, have you been to see a nutritionist or a dietitian? And I was like, no. And she was like, well, have you heard of brain health? Have you thought, like, have you thought maybe you've got a brain health problem, you know, that's impacting your mental health? And I was like, I don't really know what, men- I don't really know what brain health is, like in that term. So like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. But also I don't have a mental health problem. So I don't think like that's an issue. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I don't have a mental health problem. I just have insomnia. I can't sleep. And she was like, well, what do you think that is? And I was like, why? I don't know. I haven't really, you know, I started to get defensive and manly about it. She sort of just sat there and just looked at me really, like, really calmly and really clearly. And she said, Dan, like, what you're describing is a mental health problem. Like, doesn't have to have loads of stigma or whatever attached to it. But like what you're describing categorically, like you and I can agree it's not healthy, right? Yes. And where's it happening? Brain, mind? Yes. Okay, it sounds to me like it's a mental health problem. And that, that was the moment when I was like, holy shit, she just mansplained this shit to me in a language I can finally understand. And that was, that was the moment when I was like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense. And I started like backtracking on the last few months. And I was like, with my depression, I never called it depression at the time. But, you know, I went through sort of six months of virtually nihilistic behavior where nothing could bring me joy. And I was basically just bummed out and low energy and barely leave my house every single day. The only mental health condition that I actually kind of noticed that I had previously in the moment was burnout. That is because it's kind of inescapable to understand that's what happened to you. 
you know, I actually had one of the first people, so I love obviously being an early adopter, to get COVID in the country. Um, and I got it February 2020. And it wiped me off. Start of February, you know, I was in hospital, went to UCL with it, um, was on um, oxygen tanks. And um, that experience of COVID, because it wasn't, no one really knew what that's like. That experience of COVID, you know, first strain really hard, uh, was very similar to burnout. Uh, that was like three weeks of pure no energy. I just started Heights, launched one month before, only Joel and I working on it full time. And so as a, like, you know, sadly, bit of a workaholic, you know, loves what I do and all the excitement of a new start and finally in the market and stuff. I literally couldn't even write emails in February. I just like, you know, I'd pick up my laptop and be like, try and like just do something productive or helpful to help Joel out and like lighten the workload of a new startup and just too exhausted to do it. And that was very similar to burnout. Burnout was just like the motivation had gone. There was nothing I could do to possibly, you couldn't bring me to email or Slack someone. It's just the thought of doing it was just too strenuous. And, and so you just carried on doing nothing. So that was the only one that I've noticed, definitely, that I could say in the moment. That's a thing. But her just sort of explaining to me by describing back what I've said to her and me hearing it, for the first time, suddenly I was like, Jesus, yeah, that's really silly of me, isn't it? It's not a big deal, but it's silly of me. Like, I'm digging my heels in that I don't have a mental health problem. I clearly do. Like, maybe I should take it a bit more seriously. Mm, and I'd, I'd love to um, hear about these experiences sequentially, as in whichever the first one was that now looking back, you think you had from this list of stuff like insomnia, depression, burnout. What, what was the first real experience of it you had or of any of those things that you can remember? Well, interestingly, you know, to be totally honest, the first actual mental health problem that I, I think I had was bulimia. And I only realized that, again, I knew what I know where I was when I realized this. I was in Portugal a couple of years ago. So during COVID, the first like August that people were freed and I went out to Portugal with my wife and a bunch of friends two years ago and we just worked in Portugal for a whole month. I was doing a newsletter for Heights and I was describing eating disorders because I was doing an interview with a nutritionist and I suddenly realized what I was typing. I was like, oh my God, I did all of those things. That was me for so long. And I completely ignored it as like just something weird going on. And it was another epiphany. And I think part of the epiphany here is as someone who's pretty open, um, and I've always been fairly open with mental health, just to give some very quick background. My grandma died of Alzheimer's and my uncle is very schizophrenic. I have um, very, very close family that I've witnessed to extreme realities of, of living with mental health conditions. So I've always been aware of it. It's not something that's shameful at all in my family. It's something that we've, we've lived with and, you know, it's been a big challenge and like part of our lives. Therefore, it's weird to me that I seemingly maybe through cognitive dissonance, maybe through multiple other things, would never really recognize what was going on. So as I'm 36 now, I guess I was 34 when I realized that the first proper mental health condition that I probably lived with was bulimia. And I was about between 21 and probably 27, 28 um, with that. So I grew up fat and a lot of 
self-belief and psychology that happens to you growing up fat you know you get bullied you get teased all this kind of stuff and you feel very conscious of all of that um but you live at home and you live with your parents and your parents are your caregivers and they're you know you're eating lunch at school and you're going home and you're eating dinner and i'm not saying my parents like you know consciously overfed me or any of these things maybe i ate too large portion sizes there's so many different things you know i was a lazy prick wasn't doing enough exercise there's so many things that definitely go into that but it wasn't until you know I actually funny enough I got flu one summer and I was so ill for like a couple of weeks and I actually lost quite a lot of weight but I also lost a lot of appetite and that was sort of the start of it for me and once I ended up like you know trying to control my diet and trying to actually keep the weight off I was probably 18 19 before that happened and for a couple of years I was was actually kind of okay what I noticed happening um, or rather other people certainly noticed is I still saw myself as fat. And so even though at this period in my life I was actually very, very skinny, I really didn't feel skinny. And I really felt like I was fat still. And I couldn't possibly see anything other than uh, signs that I was fat. And so what would happen is, this is a completely bizarre psychological thing, but I ended up, you know, I would eat food and maybe I'd eat like portion size too large again. But I would end up throwing up like a fair chunk of that food afterwards in the toilet, but without forcing myself. So I've never really put my fingers down my throat ever. My body would just reject it. And for a while, I was just like, ah, this is like my body basically telling me what my portion size is or what I can and can't have. No problem. I ignored it, basically, because I was like, well, it's probably a good thing because, you know, I'm, I'm in control of how much I'm supposed to have. My body is some kind of like supercomputer that's figuring it all out. But actually, over a period of years, what happened was determined that I had really bad acid reflux and I ended up like really fucking my throat up, which is partly why I always sound so croaky like this. So fast forward, slight tangent from mental health, because I wasn't relating this at all to a psychological thing when I see food or how I react to food at all. But I ended up um, causing myself a medical phenomenon that people are, you know, very surprised to hear. I spoke to a doctor the other day and I said this to him. He's like, bloody hell, the first person I've ever heard of with this. And I was like, yeah, I know. I, everyone always says that to me. I got something called a pneumomediastinum. And that is a hole in my throat. So I basically, I'd had so much acid reflux. I tore up my throat so much from throwing up so many times in my life. The, the wall of my throat was really thin. The wall of my esophagus was thin. Basically, I coughed a little tear, a little hole in my throat. What that meant was oxygen started going around my head um, instead of into back into my body. My head literally physically got large. Uh, I went to A&E in the Royal London Hospital in Whitechapel. You know, it was so many people there, like bleeding out, gunshots, knives, everything there, because it's like pretty dodgy East London um, ends. And they took one look at me and said, he's next. And I went straight in, I was nil by mouth for a week, did a little microsurgery on my throat. And it was a pretty horrific experience all around. And I had to have speech therapy afterwards and all of this kind of stuff. But it's really interesting because it is a downstream response to actually what physically happened in my body from a psychological thing that I was causing for myself that I chose to ignore. You know, it's not the normal thing to say, I guess, not really a normal thing to talk about. I just lived with it until it just one day wasn't happening anymore, but it was multiple years. And this was the other thing, like technically speaking, I'm not even sure if it like allowed on a technicality to call it bulimia because actually bulimia is about forcing yourself to be sick. And I never did that. 
Like I didn't need to, but I never did it. I never tried to, I never started trying to do that. So, you know, it becomes really normal because you basically are just like, well, this is just how my body is and bodies are different. This is what my body does. So the actual like needing to go to the toilet, it wasn't like, you know, I throw up in front of people, but like I would feel like, cause it's a reflux situation. I feel it coming up in my throat. I'm like, I'm just going to go to the toilet. And then I would throw up there. So it was never something that was like socially awkward or anything that like really created, you know, any ridiculous scenes of me like projectile vomiting all over my friends. It was just a reality of, oh, this is normal for me. And this is what I'm about to do. And did your mates know at the time? Was it something you kept secret or? Yeah, totally secret. Never, never admitted any of this to anyone until I did my, my newsletter at Heights. It's the first time. Never mentioned it to my wife or any of my girlfriends. Never mentioned it to my mum. No, no one except for, except for a specialist that I, you know, I did go to the doctor. This is the hard thing, though, about um, trying to get diagnosed for these things, though. So, you know, you have to understand, like, I, I was throwing up. So, like, technically speaking, you know, I was having a gut reaction. So I went to see a gut specialist, but they couldn't really ascertain what was going on because I was, like, adamant. I was like, you know, I, I'm not forcing anything but I am throwing up. And they're like, well, you've got acid reflux. So, you know, take, take these pills, which I did. And they never really helped enough, to be honest. And I think they didn't help enough because I was having some weird psychological reaction that I was sort of out of control of, is my guess. Right? I'm not a professional, so I don't know. But the point is I never went for mental health support. I went for physical support. And so kind of got like a misdiagnosis, potentially. But either way, all roads lead back to the same place, which is, you know, I've continued to do this in private for years. And I never, ever, ever thought about it at all until sitting down to write a newsletter on eating disorders and mental health and then realizing, holy shit, I'm just describing myself whilst I'm reading this. And, and how did it all come to an end? It seemed like sort of it just sort of came to an end or was there? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it sort of just petered out. Um, maybe it's lifestyle changes. I'm not like, I'm not saying it's completely related, but, you know, you know, cut out meat and, you know, I've made many diet changes in, in my time. It could have been that, it could have not been that, you know, I cut out dairy, you know, it could be those things. But I also think it might be like, you know, an accumulation of multiple, multiple things over time. Mate, I'm sorry, that sounds honestly like, a, yeah, an awful thing to, to carry around on your own. I'm sorry. Yeah, but in fairness, the weight was lifted. Literally and figuratively. Exactly. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI. 
But until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Was the next big chapter in this then the depression and the insomnia? And would you mind sort of explaining when? Yeah, definitely. So the next thing was depression. So depression happened when my father passed away. And, um, you know, I was speaking to you on the 10 year anniversary of his passing. So it's been a whole decade of reflection. <laughs> I had a colleague message me earlier being like, I'm sure the pain doesn't get any easier, but I hope you're okay. I'm like, fucking hell, like not begin to tell you how, how glad I am that the pain does get better over 10 years. <laughs> you imagine all the people that be sitting around in the world with the same pain as the day it happened. It'd be horrific. Anyway. I think my experience with depression is very common to a lot of people's experiences with depression. So I think one thing to say is obviously there's multiple ways that you can get depression. In fact, you know, sometimes it genuinely is lifestyle, like bad nutrition and hydration can absolutely cause depression. So can not enough like natural sunlight can cause depression. I think the reality is like so many people that get depression though is caused by uh, an external circumstance outside of your control your world ending and someone that you care about deeply dying is a really great example of it so i'm definitely not the first i won't be the last person that you know sunk into a depression after a, a parent passed away but in my experience my dad was my greatest teacher he was my best friend he was my mentor in so many different ways and just someone that I really looked up to because he was very funny, very inspiring. You know, he was someone that you would never pity. He's just someone that you admired. And he ran his business for 50 years whilst being blind. You know, he did so many like amazing, amazing things with really poor health the whole time. Would never let anyone feel bad for him. So I felt a great sense of loss, like and a loss in a hole that can't be filled. I, over the period of him passing away, he was on life support for six months, which is very painful because um, he's like conscious, but with a tube in his mouth. So it's like very high and he's blind. So it's like, you know, what he could do is speak, but then he couldn't speak because he had a tube in his mouth. So the whole experience of seeing someone that you love like that every single day really does grind you down. But then when it's over and there's no hope left, you know, there is a whole new range of human emotion to experience. For me, you know, it was kind of like I was holding it together for my mum, for my family, like as you do in these situations. And once I kind of like felt those things lifted from me, I just slunk into this attitude of like nothing has any meaning. I did become like relatively nihilist, certainly very, I think anti-spiritual is a great place to, um, a great description for how I felt. I think a lot about the differences between depression and anxiety. For me, depression makes it hard to get out of bed. And anxiety really only reminds you of like an ever-increasing to-do list you've got to get out of bed for. 
uh, another way of thinking about it, like depression can make you feel worthless, but anxiety makes you feel like you're not doing enough. So they're two very, very different things. And my depressive period was before I started an entrepreneurship. And I went through this sort of period of just not caring. I was doing a job for a job's sake. I was putting in the hours and really just not caring and clocking out and then just like bumming around. And it took me six months, really, to get out of this funk. And in the end, for me, you know, how I got out of that funk was I was searching for anything that would work. And one of my friends basically told me about this thing called ayahuasca. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I will literally do anything at this point. Because I think if I'd been offered ayahuasca in the first like three months or something, I'd have been like, no, because my answer to everything was no. Do you want to go out? No. Do you want to do this? No. But at this point now, I was kind of like really bored of feeling this way and actually kind of wondering if I was ever not going to feel this way. And I think this is a really important thing to say. In my experience of like suffering badly with any mental health problem that I've had, and depression certainly wasn't the worst, you do feel like you'll never not feel that way. And in my experience, now looking back on my experiences with a variety of them, actually, not only is it likely that you will get better, it's also perfectly likely that you can um, avoid ever feeling that way again. It's not a guarantee. And this is the other thing that I think is interesting. You know, if you're someone listening now who's never had a mental health problem, that has no prediction whatsoever that you won't wake up tomorrow with one. So I was at my wit's end of like, this is never going to end. And my friend invited me to join him in this thing called an ayahuasca ceremony, which is plant medicine with shamans and all this shit that I was like, oh my God, I literally hope I never turn into a wanker that likes this stuff. Whereas of course now I'm totally a wanker that likes this stuff. So it's really interesting how life, you know, presents you with opportunities. You know, I'm always fascinated by the sliding doors attitude. And one thing that I am proud of in myself is... I am open-minded to try new things. I think in life, when you're open to trying something new, that can still supersede a, a mental health problem, right? You know, if I think about how I solved my problem when I had insomnia, that was from the willingness to try something new until I tried something that worked. And it's not giving up. It's the opportunity to think that just because what you've tried yesterday doesn't work doesn't mean what you'll try in the future won't. So I went on this ayahuasca retreat, there were 15 of us in a room, and long story short, you actually tend to do it very commonly two nights in a row. And the reason that you do it two nights in a row is because the first night you tend to be very blocked, very blocked by reality, very blocked by some of the things that happen that hold you down and self-beliefs, and it takes like more, more effort for what they call the medicine to work. So I was like, well, whatever, in for a penny, in for a pound, go for the whole weekend, why not? And yeah, my first night was kind of like, okay, this is this is kind of nice. It's sort of tingly. It's really interesting. I'm seeing some interesting things. It's curious, whatever. But certainly nothing life-changing. More like, you know, I'd done mushrooms before and it wasn't a million miles away from that. And then the second night was just like a completely life-changing experience where I, you know, you have to bear in mind at this point, I've decided that you live, then you die. There is no afterlife. And the everything is just a bit meaningless. And I had this entire like guided experience, you know, in like a, a whole other world, essentially, where 
you know, my visuals are all based on um, being guided through creation and reincarnation and, you know, trees uh, blossoming and birds and bees and wind and seas and evaporating into the clouds and then pouring down in the rain and the river and, you know, going down a stream. And I was like part of the whole entire experience. And then I saw my dad and actually, you know, what was really very interesting was they say, and it was my experience too, that you have a guide like a spirit guide, just imagine there's a Will Stolomon in your head taking you through all of these things and saying, this is where we're going next. It's very odd, but it, everyone kind of experiences the same thing, which is why it's even weirder. So I see my dad and I, you're basically having like a conversation and narrative. And I was just like, holy shit, um, this is kind of what I came for. And they were like, you know, do you want to speak to him? And I was like, do you know what? Like, no, I just can't handle that right now. Like, that's just too much. Like, I'm already having my mind bent and blown, like, left, right and center. I'll, I'll save this for another time. And that's what's really interesting. Like, I went away and I was like, you know, I sort of set up to like very like brief, like, wave kind of thing. But like, without like trying to confront whatever I needed to confront there and then because I'd had enough and sort of came to six or seven hours later. But, you know, really felt like I'd sort of seen the other side, so to speak, and I think this is probably where woke comes from as a statement. You know, I felt very awakened, very different to how I felt before. Um, most importantly, that whole entire feeling had completely gone from my body. I felt amazing the next day, in instantaneously. I felt amazing. And I've literally never felt that way again. And I think part of the reason potentially, though, is... You know, when you think about what depression is, um, ultimately, you know, it is a sense of um, of loss. It is a sense of meaninglessness. And what I found that night was meaning. And if you have purpose and you have meaning and you're able to refresh those thoughts in your mind and cling on to something, whatever it is, then it's much harder to be depressed. And, you know, I can safely say, you know, I I get bummed out. And like I said, I had really bad SAD this, this past uh, winter. But... You know, I've not had a depressive episode like ever since. And I think that's because like I hold on to this idea of a greater purpose now, which is so unold me. Like it's the me that, you know, you and lots of other people know, but it is not the me of growing up at all. That me was deeply skeptical, big on science, very low on spirituality and intolerant to religion. You know, whereas now I'm like still intolerant to religion, but I completely respect the fact that religion is just the storytelling of spirituality. And so whatever whatever gets your socks off. You believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. I believe in Mother Nature, I believe in Mother Nature. Someone else believes it. Like It's all irrelevant. Like the teachings, the lessons, the outcome, living a kinder, more conscious life. As long as we all sort of agree that that is the point, then it doesn't really matter what the story is or what your belief system is at all. And I can totally get on board with that now. Whereas back then, I was like, you're just naive. I do find it interesting how I would say that a lot of my peers have gone through a broadly similar thing of like more cynicism as a young person, certainly, you know, atheist um, in your young life, say up to like, I don't know, late 20s, 30. And then something seems to, to happen to a lot of people, which is, which is fascinating. So often forced because you hit a low point and that's when you're actually like ready to take on something new. But purely anecdotal this, but I, don't, I see a fascinating trend amongst my peers about that, and what, you know, similar kind of thing. Okay, so without trying to sort of belittle it, we've chatted then about like your depressive chapter. 
was the next one, the insomnia and this cocktail of mental shite? It's a good question, but basically what's next is... It's hard because basically anxiety, chronic anxiety and insomnia were intertwined together. So just to be very clear, I've had anxiety, I get anxiety still, and I really believe that anxiety is just part of entrepreneurship quite commonly because your job in entrepreneurship is to build a future that doesn't yet exist. You are literally ruminating in future possible outcomes and that is what anxiety is by definition. So I think it's very hard to escape the reality of anxiety if you are, certainly if you're an entrepreneur, quite often if you're an ambitious person, they go hand in hand. But experiencing chronic anxiety is a whole other issue. When I first started experiencing it, it was during insomnia. And then at at some point, I wasn't really sure if the insomnia was causing the anxiety, the anxiety was causing the insomnia. It was kind of hard to say. But basically with the insomnia, what happened was, One day, I literally just woke up at 2 a.m. and couldn't get back to sleep. And I was like, okay, I'd gone to sleep at midnight or something. So I was like, okay, well, whatever, that happens, no big deal. Decided to work. And it was great because I worked eight hours before we started work and I felt really productive and I went into work and I kind of felt okay there too and obviously started crashing about 2 p.m. but not enough to sleep and also in an office, so quite difficult, just like piling on the coffee. And then this happened the next night. And then the next night, and then the next night. And before I knew it, I was literally waking up like clockwork at 2 a.m. Didn't matter at what time I went to sleep. The other problem was I couldn't get to sleep. I had lots of energy during the night. So my whole body clock was totally fucked. You know, it gets 10 p.m. and it was like wind down time. And actually the adrenaline starts kicking in and it's very annoying. So, you know, I ended up actually, you know, sort of self-medicating with things like weed, like have a joint before bed and sometimes a whiskey as well just to make sure I can like just kill the buzz and go to sleep. Obviously, then what happens is I still woke up at 2 a.m., but now I was basically still high and very groggy. So that wasn't a particularly helpful approach, but it just started, it just sort of got out of control, to be honest. Like I, it was weeks before I really started to feel terrible, ironically, other than just very tired. It was weeks before I started to feel really terrible. And it was months before like chronic anxiety started. So I don't think that really popped its head up until month three or four. And basically the uh, the outcomes that I was having from the chronic anxiety were uh, panic attacks. So what I remember very distinctly one time, you know, being in a, in a board meeting with a new chairman, annoyingly, of this company, uh, my last company, you know, it's just presenting. And suddenly I just like hot and cold sweats come over me, froze in my tracks, Never happened to me before, didn't know what was happening, heart palpitations. I was like, can you excuse me, I've got to go out. And I went out and I was just literally having a little mini meltdown um, out in the corridor. Didn't know what was going on, why it was happening to me, but it was a full-blown panic attack. I was like, shit, okay, that's weird. Isolated incident, no big deal, but actually started to become a recurring incident. And then what would actually happen was, um, understandably, by months four or five, as I was going to bed, I would start to get really bad anxiety, of course, because you're used to not going to sleep anymore. So you kind of know what's about to happen. You know, your whole day is about to start again. Like the last thing you want is to be waking up in two hours again. Like you just want one good night's sleep, but never happened. And I'd started seeing my now wife actually at the time. So it's a very interesting mental health condition to have because I basically would just leave her alone. 
as in we'd go to bed together, but then I would just go into the living room and start work at 2 a.m. So she was very aware of it, but there really wasn't very much to do. And also she loved sleep. So it was a very convenient um, mental health problem to have. <laughs> and so just uh, to provide some context for our listeners with the, with these periods. So this, I believe, was happening, you know, sort of at the time of, of gravel and that sort of changing to sort of mobular, which was pretty height. Whereas the depression had happened before you'd become a founder so in the market. yeah that was about three or four years earlier yeah yeah okay and then the the bulimia had been right at sort of like the beginning of your career in your early 20s when you had that maybe you had that psycho sales boss having coke in like the philippines yeah i don't think it helped i don't think it helped i mean he certainly made me paranoid but i just don't know that paranoid is a mental health condition got yeah got yeah okay cool and so i think most people can relate to obviously not anywhere near to the degree that you suffer from it, but when you're desperately trying to go to sleep and you're getting more and more frustrated with it, which of course only increases your chances of like staying awake and how frustrating that must be. It sounds like you've just sort of pretty much given up as in like, if you were to wake up now in this period at like two in the morning, you wouldn't, you wouldn't try to get to sleep. So you are now functioning off what, two, three hours of sleep a night at best. Oh, yeah, for sure. At most two, three hours a night. You know, it's worth saying, you know, earlier I said, you know, I don't think depression was the worst thing that could happen to me. Insomnia was the worst thing that happened to me by a mile. It was worse than my depression. It was worse than anything that I've experienced because because it's actually the first time where, even though I have a very positive mindset, like once you've tried all of the things and they don't work, and this is before I discovered nutrition, obviously, and before I discovered supplements and heights and any of that stuff, you know, I was trying very obvious things. You know, I like I have a problem with my brain, with my mind. I'm going to try and solve it with all of the things I've read about. I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to have sleep therapy. I'm going to try calm. I'm going to try sleepier, which is CBT, like specific around sleep and insomnia. I'm going to the doctor, you know, like all of the things. So when none of them work, you actually then start to think, okay, this is my reality. This is life now. And it's weird because you can kind of function with it. So this is sort of the other problem is like you're living with something where you don't look very good. But, you know, I was still doing things like going to the gym. I was still trying to eat as healthily as possible. I don't think my diet was particularly good. Look, part of the problem was as well, you know, which isn't talked about enough and is completely true. A year before I'd gone completely plant-based. So I had switched from being a carnivore all my life, um, eating everything, to a vegan overnight you know, that is going to fuck with you. Any stark diet change is going to have some impact, even if you go from vegan to carnivore. So I was doing it because of environmental reasons more than nutritional reasons. What I basically did was malnourished my brain. Like categorically, my brain, as I've now learned, requires a whole bunch of nutrients to thrive. And I just deprived it of two of its most key nutrients that it needed that I was getting from fish and meat and was trying to just stuff myself full of falafel because you read these blogs telling you that vegans can get everything that you need from me. And it's true, they can, but I wasn't choosing to eat those things, right? I wasn't sitting at home eating a plate of algae for dinner. You know, I was eating the kind of things that, you know, vegetarians tend to eat or vegans tend to eat. So falafel, hummus, et cetera, et cetera. So I was malnourishing myself without realizing it. And a year later, you know, I start to have these, or just under a year later, I start to have these very physical signs. The, the house is burning, right? The house is on fire. 
And these are the alarm signals to do something about it. it you know, obviously easy to reflect on these things after the fact, but actually post-rationalization, it's very logical that I ended up going to see a dietitian eventually. It's just annoying. And the thing that I always try and encourage people not to do is very annoying to me that I suffered for six months with insomnia trying all of the things for my psychology when I could have tried something for my biology, my physical brain and nutrition at the same time. Understandably, I might not have known what works specifically, but like, I don't care. I don't want to live with insomnia for six months. So I think that's one thing that I always recommend to people is being open-minded about trying things that work and being open-minded that that can actually make a difference. And it's not to say that nutrition is the solution to people's insomnia or anxiety or any of these things. People are different. But in my experience, that was exactly the thing that was missing. And it's exactly the thing that's helped me really maintain a healthy brain ever since. Yeah. And um, um, what were those two things that were missing from you? The key, the two biggest keys? Um, maybe there's some vegans or vegetarians perhaps who are listening or who are struggling. Yeah. So they were omega-3s and, um, and B vitamins. So the main reasons for this is DHA omega-3 is the building block of the brain. 90% of your brain is made of DHA omega-3. 60% of the the fat, um, and basically most of your brain is fat. Uh, Sorry, 90% of the fat. And 60% of your whole brain is made of fat. So it's like a huge amount of your brain is made of this DHA. It's a major building block compound. You can get all of that from algae. Fish actually don't synthesize it themselves. They get it from algae. They eat the algae. That's how they synthesize DHA. It's super interesting. So the most sustainable way to get omega-3s for humans even is algae. That's why sustainable algae farms are so popular now. This being so you can skip the fish part, but that's not how we get it because people do not sit around eating algae and seaweed. They eat fish. So once you cut it out from your diet and you don't supplement, you are going to be causing yourself a massive malnutrition issue. And the other one is B vitamins, and that is because a lot of B vitamins come from meat. B vitamins essentially are what your brain is running on for energy. And why was it the worst of all of these experiences? I mean, the panic attacks obviously sound horrific, and I've got some guesses, but what was the reality like? I think the main reason is because by month three or four, you know, I've never been an alcoholic, but I imagine it's what a functioning alcoholic is like you're basically just a functioning insomniac. So you're not able to clearly think or mentally perform on any task, but you can still, like in a drained way, you can still do everything. So you're not really in a desperate position where anyone can properly pity you. You're just operating at 25% level all the time, which is frustrating for a high performer, frustrating for someone who cares, terrible for an entrepreneur, you just don't have the energy to like, you know, do the things that matter. It's kind of that, actually. Like, I think the reason why it was so bad, and to be honest with you, the other side of it was just the unpredictable nature. At least when I had depression, I kind of knew I was going to wake up every day fucking hating it. I never knew if I was going to have a panic attack, and I was starting to get them pretty regularly. So that's really awkward, because it kind of starts to like really regret and get fearful about where you're putting yourself in an environment. Should I go out for dinner that night? Should I see that friend for that coffee? Am I just going to have a fucking full-blown panic attack in that cafe? You know, these are very real things and they start to make you like really quite insecure and obviously want to stay in. So I think that was more it. It was like the unpredictability and also the sort of, you know, this is a really interesting thing with mental health, right? But there's just a total lack of visibility on what you're going through. 
Does this bring us back to that conversation that you were having with your friend who was talking about what was going on with like your lack of sleep? As in, I'm interested in like the turning point for you when you started to get a handle on the insomnia. You then meet your friend who you're giving some advice to. She tells you to basically go and see a nutritionist. And well, I'd, lo- I'd love to hear what happened after that, because apart from in solving your issues, this is like really the origin story of heights, right? Yeah, so I was told to go see a dietitian. Um, I went to see my doctor on the NHS. He was like, here are some sleeping pills again. I was like, no, no, I want to see a dietitian. So I had to specifically ask him for this, which obviously he did. But he was like, I don't really understand why you'd want to see a dietitian when you've got mental health problems, which, by the way, exactly is part of the problem. Um, he is the one that should be telling me to try that, but sadly didn't know himself because doctors do not get trained in nutrition at all. And they get seven hours and about seven years of training. So... I pushed to see her. She listened to me for about 10 minutes and essentially very quickly prescribed me or rather recommended me three supplements specifically. They were blueberry extract. The reason that one, by the way, is because uh, she was like, it's going to clean out the glymphatic system of your brain, which didn't mean anything to me. But the analogy that she gave was it's like um, putting your car, um, your brain through a car wash overnight. So Blueberry extract, because it's got lots of antioxidants, by the way, that's why. B vitamin complex and DHA omega-3. But she was very clear, you have to go and buy these from a reputable place. Supplements are all over the shop in terms of price. What you can't do is go to Boots or Holland and Barrett. You won't find the quality that you need. If you want something good, you're going to have to go to Planet Organic or Whole Foods and just assume they're going to cost 30, 40 pounds each. That's generally the mark of like good high quality because there's this whole discrepancy. I wasn't really paying attention to obviously the details in that because it's not like I was like, ding, 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 business idea. I was just like, I can drag myself to where she told me. And buy and spend a hundred quid on blueberries as well. I don't know if a part of you, if a doctor told me to go eat some blueberries and I was in that state, I'd probably be feeling quite skeptical. Yeah, so well, it was blueberry extract pills in fairness. So um, I went to Planet Organic in Camden Town I spent 120 quid. When you're desperate, you'll do anything, to be honest with you, including if your doctor said eat a bunch of blueberries. You literally do anything when you're desperate. And I was desperate. So I I did this and, you know, it didn't work immediately at all, but very quick impact, like five, six days in, suddenly I had my first night sleep till five. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. I've slept till five. That is like an unbelievable feeling. And the next night I slept till seven, And then I did a couple more nights till seven and I was like, I can't believe it. This is unbelievable. So I was obviously extremely enthused, called up the the dietician to tell her that, you know, she'd saved my life. She was basically just quite dismissive. It's It's hard to describe. So she was... Not cynical, but exasperated because she was like, yes, I knew it would work. I told you it would work. And you're really surprised because you've tried everything else because the last place anyone ever thinks to come to is the dietitian or a nutritionist. But if you fundamentally think what I've told you to do, it's perfect common sense because you've been depriving your brain of key nutrients that it needs and we all need to thrive. You've now fed it and it's now turning off some of the alarm systems, right? The house was on fire and you've just got a fire hose. That's all that's really happened. And actually... It was just as likely, if you think about it, to work than all the other stuff that you tried before. So the fact that you are so elated is good. I'm happy for you. 
but it's just part of the frustration of doing my job. It's so irritating for her. So I was like, okay. So it was really funny. So it was kind of like two modes where I expected her to be thrilled for me, but actually she was a bit like just an angry matron telling me off. But it was actually like her response was really fascinating because it kind of triggered something in me. When I was like, there's actually a lot here, right? There's the fact that no one, no one knows. Like she is a medically trained professional in dietetics and understands the stuff, but like the doctor didn't know. So there's like an enormous gap in knowledge about the fact that nutrients can help your mental health. And I have now just had that experience firsthand where I know that to be a fact. So there's got to be something in this. And the other thing is, you know, remembered what she said, which is like, you can't take all of those supplements. You have to go here and you have to get these specific ones. You have to put them together. And I was just like, why can't I just go to Holland and Barrel? That is like, obviously where I'd go. And she's like, no, because quality, because of marketing, because of all of these things that they do to scam you that is normalized in the supplement industry. So you have to be very specific. And all of these things combined, and I was just like, shit, I think there's actually something really interesting here. And, you know, this is why there's you know, the very famous old stories of this too shall pass and, you know, all of those kind of things where you learn these lessons. But ultimately, your worst experience can turn into your best opportunity. In my experience, you know, if I look at the path of my mental health experiences, you know, realistically, they've pathed, they've paved the path for my greatest opportunities. And I'm obviously in a very reflective mood today with my dad, but ultimately him passing away genuinely led me on a path to become a much more connected, conscious human being. Um, and I wasn't that whilst he was alive. In fact, I was kind of like quite basic I'm not trying to challenge or insult anyone, but, you know, I like possessions and things and, you know, a bit of a classic consumer and I'm very connected and attached to things. They don't necessarily mean that much, but, you know, they really meant a lot to me. After he passed away and going on this sort of soulful discovery, it was only after that that I decided to go into entrepreneurship and try and build something of my own and create and manifest something into life. It was only after that that... I decided that I didn't need a car and all of these other things that I, you know, seri- like seriously, like was so attached to and was actually more interested in trying to be kind and compassionate and help people and build communities and start a podcast because I want to share stories from people. And all of these things are connected to me becoming a very different person. I only became that person because I went on a path because I was desperate, because I couldn't feel that way anymore. And so... I feel like losing a parent, you know, it's just something that everyone goes through. And going through a depressive episode is not necessarily something everyone will go through. But in my experience, going through it when I did gave me an opportunity to realize a new path with a new life and a new attitude and a new direction, which has served me super well. And of course, no idea. Maybe I would have been better off all over, you know, going down the non-sliding door in the first place. And I'd be in a much better place than I am today. But if what matters is, are you happy? I am happy overall, right? I'm very lucky with what I have. I'm full of gratitude every single day for what I have. And if my dad taught me anything, it's that a healthy man wants a thousand things, but an unhealthy man just wants one thing. And that has just stayed with me forever because any day I'm having a bad day, and I'm finding like, you know, I'm struggling with my mental health, or I'm struggling at work, or I'm struggling because of some other thing. I do genuinely stop for a moment, feel in my body, realize everything is working. And I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for the lesson to have realized that, you know, I have what matters, which is my health. 
And when you have your health and you have your mental health intact, because you basically practice the art of well-being, which is what I try to do as much as I possibly can, you have your life ahead of you to make choices, to make opportunities come your way, and certainly to see obstacles and challenges that come up like these moments in life and to reflect on them and see them as massive opportunities to create a better path every time. And that is 100%. If I think about how that happened with my dad, and then this happened with my insomnia and anxiety, you know, I absolutely love running heights. And I really feel like I'm in my zone of genius, living my icky guy, as the Japanese would say, you know, I'm really fulfilling a certain passion and purpose that I have for helping people. And it's all because of going through this experience for that period of time. So wouldn't take it away if and when, I'm sure. You know, I might face another mental health challenge or certainly another major challenge in my life. I certainly now have the hindsight to look at it as a great learning opportunity and a great opportunity to experience and learn through because I know it will make me a better person and something great will come from it. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. As Dan says, and as we're hearing in our bite-sized series on entrepreneurs failing, which you can find in our feed, it's only when we're really challenged that we really grow. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Next time I sit down with Dan, which will be in a couple of months, we'll turn to heights properly. We'll show what it's genuinely like being a founder and all that that brings, the ugly stuff, the stuff that's difficult to describe in a couple of minutes, the stuff that only founders really know about.